they were regional, which meant in your region you knew your tax collector because he visited you regularly, and they were dishonest. You see, they would take up to what the amount that they were told that they had to from Rome, and then anything extra was just cream on top, total profit. And so they were extortionists, threatening, challenging, stealing, legally stealing people's money. And they were a people without a people, right? Rome hated them because they were Jews. Jews hated them because they were being abused by them on the sake of Rome. No one liked the tax collectors. So modern readers, us today, we need to grasp how stunning and surprising it was for Jesus' hearers to know that the person who left the temple that day with their sins absolved was the stinking tax collector. The dirty, rotten scoundrel. Not the incredible, pious, moral, good guy. It was a slap in the face to those hearers. There's two key lessons that I really want you to walk away with today. The first lesson is this. That as we look at the Pharisee and the tax collector, that we are supposed to measure ourselves not looking down. We're not supposed to measure down. We're supposed to measure up. And let me unpack what that means. To measure down. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other man, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. The Pharisee measures himself by looking down at the tax collector. That he makes the tax collector the standard for righteousness. Of which he far exceeds. God, thank you for making me so awesome and not like this guy. No one would really probably pray that in real life. The prayer that Jesus shares during this parable is, is an exaggeration so that we would really hear the point of what he's trying to say. The Pharisee continues, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And we're, we're pretty good at measuring ourselves by the good things that we do. To look at our strengths, the things we do really well, the things that people say, man, great job. We, we like to measure ourselves by those things, right? We don't like to measure ourselves by our mistakes, by our failings, by our shortcomings. We take pride in the things that we do reasonably well. But here's where self-righteousness can slowly start to creep in. The evidence of self-righteousness can be found, it's indicated by how we consider other people. Do we have disdain for other people? Are there people that you look down upon? Just think about that right now. What demographics, what type of people who do what type of things that make you look down on them and go, boy, I am so glad. Whew, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. Maybe we even do that to ourselves when we hear this parable and go, man, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee. It's easy to let that happen and let that creep in. I think maybe few of us would be convicted of being self-righteous if we just considered, you know, I, I really am fairly humble. I'm the most humble guy I know. <laughs> but if we were to just say and measure if we have disdain for anybody else, we are measuring down. 
we're measuring ourselves by the weaknesses of others. Prayer in first century Judaism, which this Pharisee was a part of, always was composed of three different things. Number one, it always involved the confession of sin. It always included a thanksgiving for the bounty that God has provided. And then thirdly, it always included petitions, supplications, requests that you have for God to lay before him. Those three. This Pharisee prayed for none of those. He just prayed a prayer of self-congratulations and pride. See, this Pharisee, his error was that he thinks he can be obedient to God and still have disdain for people like the tax collector. Jesus frequently emphasized that you cannot be right with God if you are not right with others. You cannot claim to love God if you hate your neighbor. They go together. This parable raises the question of how our assessment of people, how we think about people, is in line with how God does. And all too frequently, like Simon the Pharisee, we secretly judge people as being less than ourselves. And in doing so, we are guilty of the sin of comparison, and we reveal how far we are from the mind of God. We're not supposed to measure down. We're supposed to measure up instead. That those around us are not the standard for our righteousness, but that God is. That God is the measurement tool. That God is the standard for how we are to be. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector looks, well, he doesn't look up. He's looking down, but spiritually speaking, he's looking up and measuring himself by God's standard for his life. He's aware of how far down the road of sin he is. He's thinking about all those lives that he has stolen from. Now, according to Jewish law, when you make reparations, you're, you're, when you confess your sin, you're supposed to make reparations, which means pay back what you've stolen. And in the case of, of someone stealing money, there's the law that you have to pay back not only everything that you stole, but one-fifth more. So he knows that he is in an insurmountable debt to God. That there is nothing that he can do to pay that price back. He cannot ransom himself. He cannot redeem himself. And so he prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the exact moment when God draws near to him. The tax collector comes with a spirit of humility. Remember, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. He's so filled with wonder and awe at the presence of God that he's trembling with fear and delight. And only with faith in God's mercy can we approach him in this kind of humility ourselves. See, the tax collector thought of others as being sinners. He's looking around everybody else. Look at how bad, bad y'all are. I feel good about me. The tax collector looks at no one else except for himself. He takes no one else's inventory and focuses only on the sin that he has lived. That's a great example. He sees, he sees himself only before God as the sinner who is unable to answer God for all his sins. And convicted by the law, he just pours himself all out. He just empties himself in his confession. And it's amazing that because he empties himself in this confession by, by humbly just laying these sins out, he's now empty. An empty vessel that God can pour all of his love and grace into. 
the, the, the Pharisee was so full of himself, there was no room for God to add any grace. But the tax collector, emptying himself in confession, was an open vessel, thirsty to receive that grace. I wonder sometimes if we come to confession, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about me. I'm not wondering about you. I'm not wondering about any of you, just me. If when the confession comes around, we, we go through the motions. That's what we say. That's what we do. I'm kind of remembering. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. yeah it was bad. It was bad. It was good. Okay, here comes the good news. But I tell you what, those moments in my life, when I've been cut to the quick with the law, I just felt guilty as all get out. And then heard the promise of God's grace and forgiveness. And, and, and shared this, just a confession, sometimes privately, sometimes together with another brother. And then they hear that brother tell me, I'm going to speak Jesus' words to you. I forgive you. But the joy of that is overwhelming. It's my prayer for you that as we continue worshiping together for as long as it takes until Jesus comes back, that when you enter into that time of confession, you consider that. That because of our sin, we have so far removed ourselves in our relationship with God. That God cannot stand being in the presence of us when we are sinful. And that, cause, that comes with great cost, eternal cost, that we can't afford to pay. And we have a desperate need, a desperate need for the sacrifice that Jesus made that we will receive in just moments. We have a desperate need for that blood, like the blood of the lamb that was sprinkled over the altar. We need the blood of Christ sprinkled and poured into us. To know that as Jesus goes onto the cross to, to prepare this meal for us. He's like that chief priest who goes into the temple. Jesus doesn't go into the temple. He is the temple. He goes into the tomb. Only to come out to announce that the sacrifice satisfied. That you have been atoned for. You have been forgiven and washed clean and made new. And to know that grace when you receive his body and blood today, that you receive his full pardon, his full life for yours. Then Jesus declares, I tell you, he went down into his house, made righteous rather than that one. You know, sin for Jesus isn't simply a broken law, but a broken relationship. The tax collector yearns to accept the gift of God's justification while the Pharisee feels he's already earned it. But the real focus of this parable is, is not humility and prayer, but how we are justified and made righteous before God. So we are to measure ourselves not down, but we're supposed to measure ourselves up. The second thing I really want you to remember this day is what this parable teaches us about God, about who he is in his mercy, about who he is in his love, that he is a God who invites us into confession. And, and the words that this, this tax collector speaks is, is really interesting. And again, I've, you've heard me say this before. I don't like the English language. Because in our translation it says, God be merciful to me a sinner. The Greek word is not mercy. The Greek word is propitiation. 
So that's what this, this is what this means. God, not God be merciful to me, but God, in your generosity, please, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, please let that be over me. Please let his grace and mercy wash over me. Please let his sacrifice be the sacrifice that pays the price of my sin in full. Be that sacrifice that erases that sin from my ledger that states that I am redeemed. God, let Jesus' sacrifice wash over me. And as you come forward for the Lord's Supper today, have that in your mind. Because Jesus doesn't just offer you forgiveness like, oh, man, that was bad. Try not to do that again. We'll just, we'll just say it's okay. It's no big deal. We'll just pretend it didn't happen. But each and every sin carries the weight of death with it. And the real meaning of this parable is not necessarily how we approach God in prayer. It's not about who was the bad guy, who was the good guy. Because I tell you this, that both the Pharisee and the text collector were bad guys. They were sinners. They were broken. Only one knew it. And in his emptiness was be able to fill, be filled by the love of Christ. But as you come forward, God, let the sacrifice of Jesus that fully pardons my sin, let it wash over me today. Let me encounter your grace one more time. Wash me clean. Make me new. And you can be the person who leaves this place and goes down into your home justified. Not because of your behavior, not even because of your attitude, but because of what Christ has done to wash you clean. Would you, make, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you so much that you are, you are the payment for our sin. That Jesus, by your death on the cross, you have taken our place. That your forgiveness is not just one that's, that's verbal and, and no big deal, but you paid the price in full. Remind us of that, God. Allow us to encounter your love and grace. Let it inspire us into a life of more humility and service and love towards you and one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.